All right, welcome to the Dark Side of Business Podcast. Today we have a very unique guest, so we're mixing it up a little bit. I guess unique is a great word to use. Perfect. Um, we have the founder of Tangle Gooch Brewing Company. So one of the things that I wanted to ask, as we always start off with all of our podcasts, is after he does his introduction, if you don't mind, go ahead and jump right into what is sure. one thing that you wish someone would have told you prior to starting a company. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Be smarter than you are. How about that? You know, the, uh, so I'm Scott Sturgeon, uh, one of the founders of Tangle Roots Brewing Company, born and raised in Chicago and coming out here. And, uh, you know, when he says the dark side of the business, you know, holy cow, I feel like I'm Darth Vader walking in here uh, using the force. But, um, you know, when he asks me questions like, what's one thing that you wish you knew before you got into business? One is double whatever you think it's going to cost right off the bat. Anything that you think it's going to cost, double it. You see your construction, double it. You, you need capital, double it. Because you, you, that way you might even you might cover yourself. So one of the great pieces of advice I got actually recently it was after I started this project is my my business mentor from SCORE had told me when you get your construction costs he said get two estimates then add the two together and that's what you're actually going to spend so that makes sense. It, it, it's it's whatever well especially in construction but whatever you think however fast you think you're going to get there double it so always a multiple of two. For some reason and then when you think how much money you're going to make in return so like let's say you have a project and you want to do something and you build something out however much it costs you to build that's probably how much it's going to take to make uh what you should do in sales to pay it back so a one-to-one ratio one to 1.5 is what i've learned it's pretty much i mean it's pretty much what happens so now, how did you get into this? So tell me the backstory. How did oh, you get man. into brewing? And the I mean, and the, the dark did, side of it. Yes. And then you did find a unique <laughs> Well, you won't partner. find him. I'll tell you that. <laughs> First of all, you will never find him. Second of all, you won't find her. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, how I got into this business. So I've always been in the restaurant business. So 30 years in the restaurant business all through Chicago. Um, opened up places like John Barleycorn, Moe's Cantina, Old Crow in Chicago, LaSalle Street Power Company, um, Grand Central Sopo, Barcelona, and all those are bars and restaurants in Chicago. So when I was in that business, I actually saw the transformation of craft beer, especially in Illinois. And I would say around 2008, I started seeing changes and people asking for something with more flavor profile and getting bigger, right? But no matter what anybody tells me, in 2010, I put on, I had a 30 draft line system, 15 craft beers. I could not sell any of them. Nobody would buy them. Sam Adams was about as crafty as it got. And I, I had things like a Cross of Gold from um, Revolution and um, what, uh, what was the other? Elliot Ness from Lakefront. So, you know, we've had, we had all these great beers on, but I couldn't sell them. And sooner or later, 2011, 12, all of a sudden that's all I sold, right? Miller Lite started dropping off. You started seeing this. And I had this realization. I had this guy come in named Mike Cohoon who uh, wanted me to get into his business. He owned Chicago Beer Company, and he kept begging me. He's like, hey, man, you know, you're going to hit the ceiling at this company. You're, you're about as high as you can get once you jump on board with me. So finally, I decided to jump on board, and this was 2012. Uh, I became the vice president of Chicago Beer Company, and no sooner did I do that, I met a guy named Peter Lindberger. 
who, who wanted me to uh, build a brewery with him as his partner. And out of that came Tangled Roots. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty storied past in Chicago. I've done pretty much every part of the business, uh, from being a dishwasher all the way up to general manager to a partner in the business. So everything. So now, with Tangled Roots, yeah. was that quite the learning curve of learning? Um, having your own business versus being in a business. So there's obviously two different aspects. Sure, that. sure. So one thing about having your own business is you work a billion times harder, right? So it's your own blood, sweat, and tears. And when things don't go your way, it's your own blood, sweat, and tears. And it hurts a lot more, I can tell you that much. So, you know, doing Tangled Roots, Tangled Roots is an awesome business. It's an awesome company. But it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get here, to get to where we've, we've gotten. And, and we're, not even, we're not even a quarter. We're not even a third of the way there. We're not even, you know, we have so much more to do. Um, but it's been fun. And, 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 and being a, a business owner and a founder means that all of a sudden you get to see the bad as well as the good. You know, you get to see the tears that are behind the tears and, and, trying to, and, and trying to get people to where they need to be. But you know what the blessing is? The blessing is people are going to use you as a stepping stone to get further in life, right? Or they're going to come with you on this magical ride and you're going you're gonna to create careers for people. So those are the blessings that come out of it, which is pretty cool. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that I've loved about with our company so far is the amount of opportunity that still exists for us. Yeah. I mean, we, I have not even scratched the surface of the no. things that I, I think that in our own line. So, I mean, definitely seeing with what you guys have done so far, some of the expansions that I've personally sure. heard about, um, I think it's fantastic. And Thank now you. you guys are also doing, you have your own pubs, now you're also in retail as well, correct? Yeah, so uh, we do sell our beer in the marketplace. We're, we're all over central Illinois. We haven't tapped that Chicago market yet. Uh, we're not prepared to do that yet. And what I mean is once you open those floodgates, you have to keep up with demand. So just saying that hopefully we get the blessing that our, our beer is good enough that we have to keep up with demand. But the thing is, is that it is, it is that good. So once you believe that and you get into retail, let's just say, you know, a Jewel Osco, a Meijer, uh, uh, another grocery store chain, and all of a sudden you get that what they call pull, you have to keep up with demand so you don't fall off the shelves, which is crazy, you know. And uh, that's, you're talking about doubling your capacity, doubling your labor, all those thought processes have to come in. Absolutely. And I mean, I've, retail is a very unique um, business that I've learned a lot about very yeah. quickly. Uh, I was on the other side of it for most of my career, then transitioning to being a vendor. I feel bad at how I was with a lot of the vendors that we oh, dealt with. Yeah. And yeah, I don't so mean that in a bad way, but your thought pattern of vendors when you're running a store is the last thing that you're thinking about. Sure. And then when you're on the other side of that, you have a whole appreciation of what they're trying to do and how big of a deal. I mean, when I was on the other side managing stores, I, can't, I probably had 50 or 60 people who would come in and pitch sure. new products Absolutely. to me on a regular basis. And at that point, my goal was obviously, how do I get the highest margin? How do I drive sales you know, sure. from that aspect? And then, then sitting back now, I probably would have let every single one of those guys into those stores, put their product on the shelf, and promoted them like crazy, yeah. knowing what I know now. Sure. So I, I, yeah, retail has been crazy. So we have entered the Chicago market, and probably we are about 30% of the locations sure. there. Um, it is. It's wild, right? It is. The hardest part that I found, and this is something I was going to ask you next, sure. is logistics. Um, distribution in Chicago, 
is <laughs> a absolute nightmare is what I've found so far. Sure. Um, so now, have you found distri uh, distribution partners or how does it work well, that's a for great question. Um, you guys with what you do? Sure. So first, tell you a quick story. So I was a buyer for all these locations uh, for John Barleycorn and, and all these bars in Chicago. And this guy kept coming in. And this is probably 2008, 2009, when the vodka boom happened, right? And every flavor of vodka was out there. You could get bubble gum, you could get shoe smell, whatever it was, right? You get everything. <laughs> so this guy's like, man, I got a brand. It's so good. We're out of Texas. It's called Tito's, dude. Drink this stuff. I literally looked at him and I said, look at my bar. See how many vodkas I have? You think I'm going to carry your vodka, right? There's no flavor in it. There's no nothing. No joke. Less than a year later, I'm calling him, asking him to come in and have a meeting at Eaton Crow, right? Foot insert into mouth. So this is a really good story about who you talk to because you never know whose products are going to go where. And now you have the, the premier vodka company in the United States, right? Absolutely. So Tito's is everywhere. And I had to apologize to the guy and be like, you know what, I was wrong. And we carried his product, it was my well vodka back then. Which is interesting, because now it's on the top shelf. Yeah. But, um, so back to your story about logistics. So we work, and when I was uh, a buyer again, to go back to this, I worked really closely with some of the big distributors. So I worked well with the Miller Network. I got to know all those guys, how they work, things like that. Um, the AB Network was there too. But when I came here, and we developed Taylor Roots Brewing Company. Keith Pierce, my business partner, came from Miller. So it was easier for us to get into the Miller distributorships. Now, one thing that a big distributor gives you is accessibility, right? So you have accessibility to the big brand, to the big stores. Yep. Accessibility to what we call on and off premise. On premise, you drink in the spot. Off premise, they pack it, you have it in package, they buy it and take it away. So we have accessibility to all those. The bad thing about the big distributors, not only money, but share of mind, right? So you walk in, the guy has Miller, Line and Cool, Revolution, Sam Adams, you know, they have to sell Blue Moon. So they have to sell my product alongside of all these. So when they open their portfolio, they have 1,200 SKUs, right? And then they're like, ah, wait a minute, on page 12, we have these table root skews. Hey, you want to look at those? You know, so you have to be a share of mind with the salespeople. So where the money comes in is you have to have incentive programs. You have to pay these guys. You have to, you know. Slotting fees are a big. Slotting yeah, fees. Slotting fees. We've seen a lot of that. And that's a great point. So one of the things I think that's overlooked a lot, and I'm glad you brought that up, sure. is just even what I've seen is exactly that. So when you meet with buyers, right? Sure. Or you look at some of the bigger distributors, obviously we have different in our niches, but you're right. They represent 75 products. How much commitment do they have or yeah. 750 products do sure. they have with your individual product? Exactly. The hard part is, though, as you're well aware, is if I send an email to Kroger, sure. the odds of them saying, sure, come on in, Tyler. Let's have a conversation about bringing you on next to none. Zero. Exactly. Right. Sure. So, yeah, there is give and take in those relationships. The other part that I've noticed is that being big distributors, they're very consistent on the margin that they want yep there's very little give and take at that point absolutely so what they're going to give you is they're going to turn around and say you know what? we're going to take this margin but we're going to give you volume right yes, correct. so and that and that's the game that you have to play believe me kroger charity peaker if you're listening out there so she came to see me in denver and that's our that's our craft beer person at kroger gotcha you know, <laughs> to get the time of day it took me three years three years just to get a phone call 
I mean, it's crazy. Absolutely. So, and, that, and that's... that's I've been going after, so um, again, hopefully they're, they can listen if they want, but I've been trying to get in contact with Jewel. Sure. Um, it's been off and on. I've been through three buyers in the process over four years. Oh, yeah. I've still been unable to get a response back to set up an actual meeting. I just did my Jewel uh, pitch. Yeah. Like four weeks ago. And I walk in and the Jewel buyer, so Mike Cohoon, the guy that with Chicago Beer Company, we took this person to a concert. (laughs) I walked in, I said, man, I know you. I said, we went to a blah, blah, blah concert. And she goes, I hate country music. I didn't go. Pulled out my phone, showed her a picture. I'm like, that's not you? And her whole team was like, and she's like, no, I hate country. I'm like, okay. I have a picture. That's exactly the relationship, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, some buyers are really cool, but when you, once you start playing the big boy game, they're looking at how much margin, how much retail you're going to sell, shelf space are you going to take up, how much are you going to give them in advertising, right? Absolutely. In POS. Absolutely. So, and we had some very unfortunate with uh, somebody who we actually sold to. Um, we were given a lot of assurances to a very large company that we sold a ton of product to. And we were given a eye level position. We were told oh, it's awesome. we were, yeah. all this stuff sounded great. Um, when you actually walked in the store, we were at seven foot three high, <laughs> not in the location sure. we were told. We were not actually in the actual section. We were put in an off section. And then on top of that, we didn't get the guaranteed buy. Sure. It was sure. like, where did we miss on yeah. our contract when we were sitting down with sure. all of this? You know, it, it's really interesting. So you go in and I don't know if you, when you talk about SKUs and shelf space, Yep. you know other salespeople come in and move your product. Oh, absolutely. On a regular basis. I see it all the time. I walk in, I'm like, oh, Tangle Roots is supposed to be eye level. We're right here. We're in the shelf space. And you come in, you're in the dark, damp corner right there in the, in the basement. And you're like, what? Who did that? Oh, believe me, Mark, Mark Robeson, if you're out there, my sales rep who now uh, works for one of the big boys and sells against us. That's one of his tricks, man. He'll come take, and he'll take the tag off. Boop, move it right down, move you right in the middle. Because you think that that individual store person is going in there and looking at their, you know, when they go to, they're not looking at their, no. their planograms in their floor space. They're just filling. Absolutely. And I mean, working <laughs> in the stores, I can tell you. Sure. I, I could care less. The, the odds of me looking at a planogram, Again, well, I was managing the store, but I mean, I would help them still fill. Sure. You would do a scan if it was empty. You put an order in to get it filled. You didn't, That's it. Yeah, that was it. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Now, have you seen any uh, pushback from any competitors? Or have you mm-hmm. had any issues? Or has it been pretty smooth sailing in that, in that neck with the wood? Uh-huh. Um, pushback from retailers? No, just have you had more issues? competition with competition, other brewers. Yeah, with other brewers. Oh, okay, you- so let's talk about that. You're in a coffee business. But yes. So coffee is becoming just like beer. Okay, so we're all friends. We all collaborate, right? Until we go outside. <laughs> yes, and that's and that's what we've noticed. And uh, you know, and and it, we still collaborate in craft beer. We love each other like brothers. You know, you're in these meetings. You sit down. You go and visit them. You you may you may even do a collaboration beer with them. But once you get out there, there's so many craft breweries now. There's 7,500 craft breweries with a thousand more coming. I just want you to think about that. That's crazy. So now when you talk about shelf space and you're getting in there, you have to fight tooth and nail to get yourself noticed. And believe me, if you're not doing it, somebody else is doing it. Absolutely. And they're going to push you to the side. And it, and it has its business in the end of the day. You have to make sure that you put your here's, – here's another trick. Whatever you say, you say the truth. 
Because if you do not say the truth, you will find two years later, five years later, one day later, you caught yourself up. Always. So if you don't tell who you are, what you're doing, how you're going to get there, and tell the truth the whole way, you're going to get caught up somewhere. And you'll just... Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I've seen, too, it's funny that you said that there's a thousand. So in our industry, too, it's everybody and their brother knows how to roast all of a sudden. Yeah. And in addition to that, there's a lot of people who are producing on a small scale that are really trying to get into market. Everyone's trying to scale. Everybody wants to be the next Starbucks, right? And yeah. we see that a sure. lot in our industry. The problem is a lot of these buyers, even for us, and I mean, we've been doing this for a while now, and I mean, we've sold a couple hundred thousand pounds of coffee. And we still have some companies who don't even look at us because to give you an example, I won't tell you the name of the company, um, but one of the people that I pitched to, they're like, hey, you know, everybody's coming out with a new, everybody's roasting, everybody has a company now. If you haven't been in the game for, you know, five or 10 years, aren't doing, you know, 10 to 15 million in sales, we're really not looking to bring anybody else on. Sure. And, and it's the reality, you know. Oh, I deal with it every day. So to break that down even further in layman's terms, we deal with what do you have new okay that's on premise remember that's the that's your that's your uh bars restaurants hotels and that's off premise so what they want is they want a new product every time something new a new skew but then these big companies as, as you know you work retail they don't want new skews no but they want something new so it's this it's this Bet constant battle. And if you go into a restaurant, about how many people drink craft beer here? Just so you know, I'm talking to a group of four. So everybody shook their heads yes. So now you, when you go into a place, do you go, hey, I want that same product that I had last time? Or do you go, hey, I want yeah. something new. I want, I want a new beer. I'm going to try something I haven't tried before. So what's happening is the proliferation of your business in different categories. So right now, like, you know, you used to have a regular IPA. Yep. Well, now you have... Pale Ale, IPA, um, New England style IPA, IP single hop, double hop, triple hop. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? I mean, just even with the popularity, like I've seen it, we've had, I can't tell you how many people have emailed me about coffee stouts. Sure, absolutely. Coffee stouts right now apparently are a huge thing, and even like milk stouts. I, stuff that I would have five years ago would have had no idea, but yeah. it's, it's all over. It, well, let's look at coffee. Okay, so I look at you and I say, you walk in and you're going to say, all right, well, I want a blonde, right? Yep. I want a Colombian, I want this. And now all of a sudden, your consumer is starting to get a little more educated. They're not educated fully here, there yet, but they're getting there, Absolutely. which is great. But now they're starting to ask for different things. And now you see people like Starbucks coming out with not only your nitro, which your nitro is delicious. Thank you. They're coming out with clouds, right? They're coming out with more foam, Right things and and you're like what the heck is going on here and you're seeing this this proliferation of styles and brands and pretty soon you're gonna run out of space absolutely and I mean we've seen a lot of evolution just from like the cold brew initially right oh, so yeah. we saw you know first one of the things we our big thing is everything we do is lighter than your typical <laughs> spectrum right sure that's one of the things that we separate ourselves with next you see the cold brew came out you know yep. and then now nitro cold brewing so like for me to stay on top of it i had to find a new way to produce a cold brew so like our nitro cold brew i had to find a new way to do it that no one else is doing to differentiate us you know because you always have to be doing something innovative innovate or innovative yeah. exactly in the market yeah. yeah innovation now is the driving factor and i have to say almost in everything every every aspect of retail you look at whether it's a car right whether it's tv whether it's your food, I mean, 
I was just, I had a Beyond Burger today for lunch. I mean, really. If anybody who doesn't know what it is, it's a plant-based burger. It tastes like a regular burger. Well, the reason I did it is because one of the guys I know, his name's Don Thompson, ex-CEO of McDonald's. I want to talk about a missed opportunity. July, I went to visit his company called Cleveland Avenue, and he, he helps restaurateurs and things figure out new concepts and a way to look at things. And I'm like, so what else do you do? You know, and he, and he was the inventor of the perfect French fry for McDonald's Corporation. Really? That's yeah. really cool. So I'm talking to this guy. And he's like, well, you know, I sit on this company board of this plant-based company. And he's like, I think it'll be pretty big. It's called Beyond Burger. Two weeks ago, McDonald's signed him up. Is there, I'm like, and now I could have invested in that. <laughs> Missed that opportunity. I don't have any money to invest, but still, I thought about it. <laughs> I get it. I always, I always tell people one of the things that I was so proud of myself for doing, and this is I bought Amazon stock. Actually, I bought one share of Amazon stock probably eight years ago. There you go. And I still have just one share. I've done nothing else because I can't afford to buy any more. Sure, but sure. I always claim that I, but, I saw but Amazon you did it. coming. You did it. Oh, I missed that opportunity. <laughs> A company called DreamWorks. I remember when I was young, and I told my dad, I said, man, all these people are getting together from tech industry, from movies, and from cartoons. We're getting together to make this company. My dad's like, forget it, son. Like, now look at it. Oh, I get it. And I remember I tried, so my stepdad bought a bunch of Caterpillar stock. He was investing in a lot of stuff. And I tried pitching the concept to Amazon. And he said, no one's going to go online and order merchandise. No one's going to trust that system to have it sent to them. This is a guy who, if he would have invested now versus all the cat stock, would have been pretty significant now. But yeah, again, it all comes back to innovation. Who wants stuff delivered to their home? Yeah, that was crazy concept. <laughs> oh, gosh, can you imagine? Oh, man. So now what have you found that's kind of really made you stand out in the marketplace? What's your so, secret sauce? Secret sauce? Well, I can't tell you. That's why it's a secret. But I will, I will say this. Um, you know, Tangle Roots, what we're found out, we, we have some really good principles. Um, you know, we work hard, first of all. But what sets us apart is we really want to be different in the fact that we grow our own hops. Right. Yeah, and I drive by and barley. I've seen it yeah. multi- multiple yeah. times. So we grow, we grow hops, we grow barley, uh, we make really good beer. And the, the thing is, is, is people think we're like this big company. And really, it's like Keith, myself, Mike Manning, who's our, who's our uh, financial guy, and Steve Scrimmer, who's our VP of hospitality. And then we have all the great employees. The employees of the company are the ones who make that happen, that make that magic happen. All, we're, all we do is we sit in meetings. That's all we do. We sit in meetings and look important and go, that's what we're going to do. But it's sounds all great. It sounds great. Let's have another meeting to talk about it. But really, it's about the employees. So I think the magic sauce is we just put our heads down. We push as hard as we can. Sometimes it's not taken. you got to remember, sometimes when you push, people don't like that. But if you don't, you're never going to go through that wall. So we have to put our heads down and push as hard as we can to get to the next steps and next levels, you know. And here's another thing, you asked me an important question. So before you start this visit, what would you dif- do differently? Your timings on things too, right? So <laughs> double the timings. You say you're gonna come to, like we're sitting in LaSalle. I said two years ago, we're gonna build in LaSalle. Well, we're finally gonna get to it, probably hopefully by this year, by June. But it's taken twice as long as you automatically thought. You know, and you never, and it, and it has to do with little things like capital, right? It's like little things like money. 
you know, um, you do have investors, but you have to pay those investors back and you have to pay for your business and you have to make sure that you make payroll every week. Oh, I get it. So yeah. one of the, so on the opposite spectrum is you get somebody who is uh, extremely zealous and energetic and passionate as all sure. get up is they see an opportunity. And so instead of being two years too late, they're almost two years too early on going yeah. forward with it. Oh, that, that always happens. You know, and that's always. one of my, one of the things that I've caught myself. I mean, like we're in LaSalle now, and this is probably six months to a year too early. You know, and because I saw an opportunity sure. and jumped on it. Sure. Um, and it's just the opposite spectrum is. And then with a lot of the stuff that I've done, I've always been, just because of how I was taught. My brother's very unique guy. I talk about him all the time. But he always told me, and I grew up with this, this uh, mentality of never say no. If Take the opportunity, figure it out. And that's how I've lived my life sure. from day one. Sure. So if someone comes and says, hey, I need, I need you to, like to give you an example, like I talked about roofing. I had a guy told me he'd give me 15 grand to put a roof on. At the time, I really didn't have a clue what I was doing. I went out, bought a bunch of roof supplies, put a roof on. I mean, that's the type of person I you am. You did it. I did it. Same thing. Is with it home. still there? It is. Okay, good. <laughs> I ended up roofing pretty much the entire, my entire hometown um, from that project. Wow. Uh, but that's just the, how I've been as a person. Like, I had sold coffee before I even owned a coffee roaster. Sure, sure. Um, and that's, you told me that. This yes. is an interesting story. Does your, does your, does your listeners know no, that story? No, I don't think anybody knows this story. So, interesting fact. So, for those who don't know, I own a coffee roasting company. Um, and one of the things that I first did is I'm very big into testing the market. So, I want to make sure that there's a customer before I bring a product to market. So, how I did that is I actually drove to Minnesota to a company that manufactured roasters. And I roasted a bunch of coffee. I bought some raw beans from them, roasted them on site, and I made about 60 bags of samples. I took those 60 bags of samples and distributed them all over LaSalle, Peru, and came up with a price point based off of market research, sure. um, what it would be, and, and pitched it to all these guys. Well, I got an email with nine people wanting to start carrying my product. Well, I didn't have a roaster. I didn't have coffee. I didn't have a supplier. So then I turned around. I drove back to Minnesota the next week, said, I'll buy that roaster if... I can roast product tomorrow to fill these orders. The guy said yes. So I took green coffee, roasted the product, drove back, delivered it to all the stores on my way back with the roaster in the back of my truck. So do you still talk to this guy? To which one? The guy in Minnesota? I do not because they got bought. Oh, they were bought. So they got bought by another company, unfortunately. Giving out too many free samples. I no, get I'm it. I'm just kidding. I'm just but, kidding. Yeah, it was fantastic. So when no, I, that's, one that's of amazing. those things is... I was so excited that I had proof of concept. We had customers before I even had a product. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, now, to give you an example, one of the things we're looking at is rolling out our nitro cold boot. So I'm out there, and we have the capacity of doing it now. Um, so I'm out there trying to hustle to get it, see how many people want to buy this product sure. before we go full scale with the line. So I'm trying to get, I mean, the product's fantastic. It's, it's a big, good brand extension for us. So, again, I'm out there selling it before we even have the full line finished. Sure, And But sure. if, if someone says yes... I'll have it to them tomorrow. I don't care yeah. what it takes. I'll yeah. find a way to get you the product. It's interesting. It's interesting. I love it. So my next question we love to ask everybody. So okay. We want to make this about you, not about sure. me. So well, I wanna... no, I mean, hey, it's a two-way street. It's, I, it's the dark side. It is. Um, speaking of that, now, one of the things I always tell people about is it's an emotional roller coaster owning a business. Oh, yeah. Now, there is a ton of ups and downs in this. What have you found as a way to keep yourself from going crazy? What keeps you grounded? I, I don't think. know. Have you met me? I'm pretty crazy. Yeah, I get that. Um. But, 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 but here's my, my point sure. to that is you have yet to jump out of a building. So, sure. so far, so how do you How do you stop yourself from doing that? Yes. Um, you know, 
it goes back to finding solidarity in who you are because what what opening a business will do is will test who you are as a person it'll test your your mentality your trust in yourself your belief in yourself and i mean really you're going to get tested every limit how far can i go right before i give up um you know family really helps you make sure you have that base uh having kids you know i have a four-year-old and 13 year old has that base absolutely um you know bourbon helps but i will say that uh coming back and finding customer satisfaction is the number one driver of keeping myself sane number one drivers when you hear that guy say that beer was fantastic man you need to keep doing this or you have a guest who might even have a bad experience like you were just telling me there might be a negative experience, but if you can fix that experience in the time that that person's in your location and make it a great experience, that right there oh, makes it worth it. So I would say the risk and reward part of the business from stop driving you crazy is the fact that you can satisfy customers and you see that people are happy. So you go into your location, right? You go into a Sally Sue or you go into a Lone Buffalo and you see your guest enjoying your nitro or enjoying your, your, your product and smiles on their faces and leaving happy, that's what keeps you from going insane. Oh, absolutely. One of the things I love, and I mean, I do this probably way too much. So it's kind of kind of weird, but I love watching like the coffee aisle sure. where I'll sit and I'll watch people pull our product off the shelf. And then I'll always, I always try to be anonymous when I do it. I look up, I'm like, oh, I've heard of that brand. Have you had it before? And I love the stories that I get behind sure. it. It's always great. Like we've sure. had one lady, um, she's actually a local who's been buying it since the first day we had it on the shelf. Um, and I know that I've actually sent out like four or five free pounds sure. um, to this lady because of that. Sure. Um, because the first time we actually, I actually got the contact information the first time I talked to him. Oh, yeah, we've been buying it um, since day one. So this is someone who buys two bags a week, she yep. told me. Two bags a week. She's been doing this for a multitude of years. She's my dream customer. So Absolutely. That's what I, and Absolutely. So you know if she's continued Oops. to buy it, she's telling four or five other people that this about this product. Yeah. You and, know... Um, Lo and behold, my brother-in-law, who is a light beer drinker to the core, I introduced him to Kit Kufa, which is our amber. Two cases a week. Didn't even tell me. So I'm, I, I kept looking at the at sales, and I kept seeing this, this Binnie's, and I'm like, man, who's buying all this Kufa? It was my brother-in-law. And he's buying it and not telling me. He's just drinking it. Two cases a week. I don't drink that much beer, so, I mean, great for him. He's super fit and skinny but it's awesome it is it it's like your is. dream customer absolutely so i guess the last question i have and i i always want to say what and what advice would you give to any future entrepreneurs sure um or people getting into this prior to starting that what would you advise them on one save as much money as you can two do an apprenticeship and when i mean apprenticeship i mean a real apprenticeship i'm talking you get you want to be a restaurateur you want to play that game Get in there and learn from the bottom. I'm talking dishwasher, mop the floors, clean the toilets, because that's what you're going to do, period. Then get in and, and learn that back of the house, that kitchen, right? Learn how to cook. Learn how to do inventory. Learn the processes. There's, so there's twofold answer here. One is get in there and learn the business. Learn what it is. Two, know the financial background and how to do it. So learn Excel learn how to do spreadsheets, learn how to do numbers. 
get yourself educated in that stuff because too many people and you know in restaurant business one in three right so yep. one in three make it that's not very good odds and your restaurant even if you make it they consider making it like a year right yeah do you know most restaurants fail within a year and a half <laughs> so let me just put these statistics out there so when you look at that and also the other thing is don't think that you're going to get into your own business unless you're ready to work 14 shifts a week seven days every day so you're what i mean by that is it's 24 7 you're never done you're never done i woke up two o'clock this morning doing emails man went back to bed woke up at five doing more emails went, you know what i mean Absolutely. took a shower got my kid up it never stops. So if, when you're ready to do that, but remember, that's that risk versus reward. So you want to put it in, you have to give it your all 100%. If you can't give it 100% of yourself, it's probably not the business that you want to be in. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of myths, as everybody thinks. It's a, a nine-to-five kind of come as you go. And I think the big part of it is missing how much work goes into it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if, if something needs done you're the one at the end of the day sure. that your name's on it you might it. be the one doing it here's the other thing have a support system behind you that you can rely on and whoever that is whether it's your wife your girlfriend or whatever your partner you need to make sure that they fully understand and they're invested because your time will not be with them and that i mean wholeheartedly i tell people that because in this business i've seen more people get divorced or separated or whatever or lose it because they're not they're trying to do the uh, you know nine i get to work at nine and i leave at two doesn't work yeah absolutely well i greatly appreciate you coming on the show a lot of a lot of great sure. insight especially someone else who knows the retail end um i don't talk a whole lot about it but it was nice to, be to dive well, into those conversations and educate some people like that well thanks for having me on man i appreciate it, it was great it was fun